My guest this week on the Picture Line podcast is Royce Bear. Royce, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Jacob. Royce, what kind of photography do you do? Well, I'm classified right now as a nightscape photographer. Okay. Um, can you define that a little bit for us? Well, nightscapes are like landscapes, only they include a night sky. Okay. Uh, usually a starry night sky. I specifically try to shoot them as points of light rather than star trails. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the scape part of it is a, is a landscape foreground. Okay, that. yeah. Um, now that's a very unique and very technical, I would think, style of photography. Is that something that you found that compared to other types of photography, there's more sort of technical expertise needed in that? Yes. Uh, you know, the, the nightscape photography has been around for about five or ten years Okay, wow. uh, as kind of a defined area. Mm -hmm. I'm not certainly not the one who invented it, but I've helped to promote it quite a bit. Uh, technically, it's pretty hard to, to get nightscape photographs that look decent because you're having to use super high ISOs. Mm -hmm often around 6,400 ISO, and how do you keep from making those look noisy? Yeah. How would you, do you have any recommendations on that in terms of the, the technical aspect and something specific like your, your ISO settings? Well, we try to use uh, lenses with large apertures, mm -hmm. you know, 1.4 f2, f2.8 is pretty much the minimum, and that can... Um, look good wide open mm -hmm. uh, for instance some of your sigma art lenses um, like the sigma 14 millimeter art is a 1.4 you know covers a lot of territory a lot of the sky but is very sharp and these lenses have to be low in coma uh, that's a coma aberration which makes the points of light the stars particularly in the corners, uh, lenses that have high coma uh, make the stars look like angels with wings. Okay. Well, it really spreads the light out gotcha. into a, a weird pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, so those Sigma art lenses, most of them uh, have pretty low coma. Mm -hmm. And there are other lenses. Uh, there's some lenses made by Rokinon, the Sam Young, Yang Optical Company that uh, have low coma as well. Mm -hmm. But their construction usually isn't as good as the Sigma Art series. Um, you mentioned the 14 millimeter. Are, are wide angle lenses very important to this, or is it something yeah, you could do? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we you can shoot some really nice stuff with a 24 millimeter lens, even with a the Nifty 50. Mm -hmm. And the Nikon F. 1.8 um, is, and that's their inexpensive mm -hmm. lens, which only costs about $100, yep. really is a good lens for the money. But in order to get enough of the sky, you usually have to do a panorama stitch. You usually have to take six or seven or eight pictures in order to get enough of the sky. Because what you're trying to do is get a large expanse of the sky, which shows the Milky Way and the core. Mm -hmm. The core of the Milky Way, and uh, which really is the most beautiful part of the 
of the Milky Way sky. Mm-hmm. And the core, is that is that the, kind of the brightest part? It's the, the brightest okay. part. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess we're starting out on the really technical stuff, which is totally fine. I do want to get more into sort of your personal experience with it, but I do have some more questions because um, – you know, talking about it as a technical, you're, you're dealing with the movement of the earth and the stars and you're dealing with, um, uh, <coughs> if you're, you know, if, if you're dealing with high ISO, you're probably working with maybe with focus stacking, uh, in your post-processing, um, you're looking at different lenses and, and things like that. Um, I don't know. Is, is there, a, what is the bar of entry for astrophotography higher than, than other types it, of It is a little higher. Uh, you, in order to get good astro landscape photography, that's another term for nightscape is astro landscape photography, mm-hmm. is you need a, a DSLR. Full frame is usually best. You can do it with an APS-C uh, or four-thirds. Uh, some of the modern cameras are doing pretty good. But for, for the most part, a full frame DSLR, uh, digital single lens reflex, Mm -hmm. or a mirrorless. The new mirrorless are really fantastic, whether they be the Sony or the new um, Z7 or the, uh, what is it, the M for the... Canon uh, is the R. The R, that's right. The M is their older... Is their old mirrorless, mirrorless. right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But those are are doing uh, very well. The stats that I just uh, saw on the... um, the Z7, the Nikon Z7, mm-hmm. really look good. I mean, we're talking, um, you know, going up to 200 ISO on that. 200,000 200, yeah, yeah, yeah. ISO. Yeah. Uh, not that I would use that for, <laughs> for actual shooting, but it's good for focusing. Like, okay. for instance, the, um, the Sony uh, Ace... A7S, mm-hmm. which is only 12 megapixels, which mm-hmm. is often used mainly for video, does a fantastic job. You know, you can go up to 409,000 and actually see the focus. But for most things, you have to do a manual focus on the stars because your autofocus won't work. And so that's one of the technical parts that you have to deal with. And you want a lens that has a big aperture, low coma, so that you can use uh, as low as an ISO as possible. Yeah. But the biggest problem is trying to keep the shutter speed down. You need, for, uh, for most of your wide-angle lenses, you need to be around 15, 20, 25 seconds. Uh, or the you'll get some star movement, Mm -hmm. and you'll start to get trailing, star trailing. Now, you can accomplish, um, reduce some of the noise and and reduce some of your shutter speed by going with a technique called stacking, Mm -hmm. where you underexpose about 25 to 50%. And go down to a shutter speed of maybe even 10 or 15 seconds where you'd normally use 20 or 25 or 30 and shoot a series of about 10 images just as fast as your card will write it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you use a program like Starry Landscape Stacker or Sequator on the PC side to stack those images together. 
Now, stacking's been around for a long time in the astro field where you didn't have a foreground. You just had deep space, mm -hmm. and they would stack 25, 30 images together. But you can usually get a really nice low-noise shot uh, in astro landscape photography by stacking maybe 8 to 10 images. And these programs like Starry Landscape Stacker will mask your foreground process that part of your images separately from the star part and then put them back together okay. again. That's cool. Because your foreground is not moving, but your sky is. Mm -hmm. And so that's always been the dilemma with stacking. Wait, how are we going to do this? Yeah. Well, these, these new software programs, which has only been around a, a few years, solve that problem. Sequator is free. Starry Landscape Stacker is about $40. That's on the Mac side. I actually feel that it's better program than the, the Sequator, but uh, if you're on a PC, I guess you'll have to use Sequator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the other thing, of course, that you can do is um, do panoramas. Um, for instance, a 14 millimeter lens will cover about a 114 degree field of view in mm -hmm. the sky, whereas a 24 millimeter only covers about 84 degrees. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you can put your camera in the portrait position, vertical, and shoot about five overlapping images, you know, overlapping by 40, 50 percent stitch those together and come out with the same um, aspect ratio, you know, two to three, mm -hmm. covering the same areas you did with the 14 millimeter, but have an image now that has twice the resolution. Yeah. I mean, twice the amount of data. Right, yeah. And uh, so that lowers your noise and raises your quality. So that's another way of doing it. Another way that's been around for a long time is tracking. Mm -hmm. and that was going to be my question, is, yeah. is how does star tracking kind of play into that? And there's several trackers out there. Uh, Sky Adventure, for instance. Um, uh, I could name off several of them. There's even one that's just come out for about $130 that's spring-wound. doesn't even have batteries oh, wow. in it. Yeah. And like, as in, like you wind it up first. You wind it up. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's super accurate, super light for backpackers. And anyway, you you uh, all of these trackers <clears throat> have a method of finding the north star and aligning the tracker on the the north star, and then you mount your camera to that tracker, and the clocking device will spin rotate the camera and lens assembly so that it follows the sky mm -hmm. going around the North Star. And so there's no star. You can run exposures, you know, 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, and use smaller apertures and lower ISOs. So you could do a, a three-minute exposure at, at f5.6, 5.6 mm -hmm. instead of f2.8 and go down to 1600 ISO or even 800 ISO and it's amazing how beautiful and detailed and how much more dynamic range you get when yeah. you lower the, the ISO. 
The problem is, is that you're also going to t have to take a second exposure with the tracking device off so that you can get the foreground. Yeah, and that so that was actually going to lead into one of kind of the other things that comes up a lot in astrophotography, at least from my experience, uh, in terms of, you know, the photographers that we work with here at PictureLine and a lot of the social media I see is the question of compositing. Yes. And so you're going to have to blend those two images together. Now, uh, blending and compositing together uh, usually requires Photoshop. You can do it with Lightroom, but it's quite difficult. Mm -hmm. It's usually best to do it in layers with Photoshop. So you're going to have to buy or, or uh, you know, subscribe to Photoshop. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a good thing to do. Um, I often say that uh, working with Lightroom is like using a big brush. Photoshop allows you to use a smaller brush sure. and get some really detailed, specific results. The fact that you can control both of those layers and then blend them together is very important. Let's talk about definitions for a second here. If you shoot your foreground exposure and your, uh, your sky exposure from the same tripod mm -hmm. location, same position, and put those together, compose those together, that's called a blend, okay. technically. If you shoot various different uh, pieces of your composition from different tripod locations, two or more, then it is a true composite. Okay. And composites are frowned on mm -hmm. in the photographic purity world. Yes. Blends are not as much. Okay. So anytime you stack an image, you're using the same tripod position. Anytime that you do true tracking, you know, you, you shut off the tracker for the foreground exposure so the foreground is sharp and the sky is moving. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, take the tracked image where the foreground is blurred but the sky is sharp. And then blend those two together. Um, that's called a blend, mm -hmm. and not a composite, because you're from the same tripod position. Yeah. So all those things are very kosher and usually smiled upon. Yeah. I like to do as many uh, things in a single exposure as I can. Sure. And oftentimes I'll use a technique called low-level lighting. You can find out more about that on a website that a friend and I have created. It's a public website, free tutorials called lowlevellighting.org. Cool. And that's where we use very low uh, LED panel lighting and omnidirectional lighting to get to light the foreground with a light that's equal to about quarter moonlight. Okay. You can't even see it with your naked eye for several minutes mm -hmm. until your eyes become adjusted. It's that low. Quite a bit different from traditional light painting where you use brighter focused lights 
and you know you're painting for only a few seconds and then you check your your exposure to see how that worked Mm -hmm. Uh, that didn't work so you try it five or six more times in the meantime the person's next to you who's trying to do something else is pulling their hair out (laughs) with low level lighting you can set up a lighting on tripods or light stands set it up and leave it for hours and everybody can use it yeah and uh you're not messing up with their, um, you know, their eyes so that they don't have to readjust. Right. Yeah. I I can I guess I can understand sort of the the general attitudes and the differences between blending and compositing and why those things uh, might be viewed differently uh, by astrophotographers. You know, if you have one that's the same composition, the same setup and just different exposures, you know, that's, that's like a lot of different types of photography are are multiple exposures just like that. Um, versus a composite where you're getting into sort of almost like digital art territory. You know, exactly. It could be any picture anywhere with, you know, a, a, an astral sky, uh, superimposed on it, basically. For, for instance, uh, National Geographic and their rules of submission mm-hmm. uh, basically say the same thing. HDRs are acceptable as long as you don't get really weird. You know, some sure. people put so much tone mapping into it, it looks like... It looks like a painting. Yeah, it like looks a, like a yeah, painting. Yeah. But, you know, all you're doing is increasing the dynamic range by several exposures and blending those together and the software does the blending for you mm-hmm. you don't have to use photoshop you can use some standalone program right and so those things are all kosher with national geographic but they do not like uh blends where the time difference is way you know like longer than four or five hours or okay. longer than a couple hours so and it's not even a difference in composition it's also a difference in like time in, in time okay yeah they don't like those too much although uh i think it was the guy stephen wilkes who did the transitions day to night mm-hmm. you know they ran some stuff on his okay they they kind of looked the other way for that because it was such a unique process. Yeah, and and he's kind of highlighting what's actually happening. It's exactly. Not, you know, it, it it could be argued that blending when you've got two different times of day in an image that could never be captured, you know, on its own that way. There's a little bit of not deception necessarily, but you know, you are trying to. Um, make something look like it doesn't look. Exactly. Versus and there what were, he was doing was kind of drawing attention to the difference in day and night. So that's he, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, they, they didn't try to cover it up. They were right. saying, hey, this is, this is a transition. And so they, these are going from day to night or night to day. And, uh, but they, National Geographic frowns on composites that are made from different, different tripod locations. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Well, um, you are very clearly very knowledgeable about this stuff, and I have so many more technical questions, but I think it might be important to sort of get into um, your history with astrophotography. You you said yourself that, or with nightscape photography, you said that it's only a thing that has existed in its current form as sort of its own thing for about five to ten years. Um, what's your history with it? Well, I... You know, I've been a magazine photographer and a commercial photographer for about 35 years. Okay. And uh, about 10 years ago, well, let's go back, way back in time. About 35 years ago, I did a series of night light painting 
pictures down in Arches National Park to promote that I could take the studio on location. Okay. And those were done in the blue hour times. You would about uh, the last 10 minutes of the blue hour, I would take a time exposure and and then light up, you know, delicate arch with uh, several lights, mm-hmm. one behind, one from the side, and then an overall fill light. And these were calculated by slide rule or whatever, because you got one shot. Right. If you wanted to bracket your exposures, you had to set up uh, three cameras. Mm-hmm. And you're shooting <laughs> with transparency, so you only had a quarter of a stop latitude in yeah. exposure. Anyway, those turned out very exciting. I used them in promotions with magazines and uh, advertising agencies to show, hey, if I can take uh, and light up these natural features, which are several hundred feet high, out in the boonies with battery-powered studio strobes, imagine what can I can do uh, at your location for you know a company that you're representing. That was picked up by national photography magazines, and kind of the rest is history. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I realized that digital cameras were just starting to reach the point where you could shoot at ISOs of 3,200 and maybe even 6,400 and get fairly decent results. Mm -hmm. 35 years ago, you were lucky to do... 200 ISO. Mm. So you had to concentrate in the the blue hour period. And now we were able to go all the way into the astronomical dusk, which is approximately two hours after sunset and two hours before sunrise, where there is no, (laughs) there's no light but starlight. Right. Unless you're in a light polluted area. Mm. Sure. So it uh, and so I started doing those things. Uh, after a couple of years of shooting that, I wrote a book called um, uh, Night Milky Way Nightscapes, uh, and you can you can find that at uh, nightscapebook.com. I think that's the the URL. <laughs> well, you may have to edit edit that. What is it? Yeah, nightscapebook.com. Yeah, nightscapebook.com. We'll make sure to include all these links that you're, you're mentioning in the show notes for people to, to look at. So I have a, an Instagram account that uh, has about 260,000 followers, and I feature somebody new every day. I try to spread the love around. Mm-hmm. I feature myself about once a week and everybody else the other six days of the week. Yeah. And uh, here last fall we... Uh, I started a conference called uh, Nightscaper Conference. Mm-hmm. And you can find out more information about that by going to nightscaper.com. It's like Nightscape with an R at the end. There you go. Uh, I'm really not promoting, trying to promote that because it filled up in 30 days. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe, I mean, maybe people, is there any information people can get for next year's? Yes. Uh, they can go up and get on the waiting list, go to the RSVP section of the submenu, of the menu and get on the waiting list for next, for 2020. Cool. Uh, and what does that conference cover? What are, what are people experiencing at that conference? Uh, this year we have 16 speakers, presenters, 
uh, in all different aspects of, of nightscape photography. And then we have about 25 associated workshops. These are independent workshops, uh, many of them by the speakers that are coming there. Mm -hmm. And this is all in Moab, Utah. And uh, Picture Line is the main sponsor. That's They're right. doing a, a wonderful Mexican-style lunch on the first day of the conference in yeah. May. I'm really hungry, so that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Uh, uh, what are the dates of that, that conference? That's May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd okay. of you know 2019. Mm -hmm. Do you have and a date for 2020 yet? We're looking at probably oh. around the same date. It might even be in April. We're toying with the idea of either in Moab again, or we might uh, set this up in Las Vegas okay. with uh, some areas around like uh, the Valley of Fire. Sure, yeah, yeah. So we've been talking with them about getting special night permits. As you know, you can't shoot in the Valley of Fire at night, oh, okay. even though some people do. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with special permits, uh, we should be able to do that. And there are several other areas, yeah. like Finland, Little Finland. Have you ever heard of that? No, what is that? Oh, it's just, it's close to that area. It's even a little darker, but with some... Close to the Valley of Fire? Yes. Okay. It, yeah, it's a little it's a little darker area. Valley of Fire isn't the most uh, is a little bit light polluted from Las Vegas, from Las Vegas. But because in the in the early spring, like in April, you're shooting to the southeast, mm -hmm. so you're shooting away, away from, from Las that. Vegas. And so even though you're in about a Bortle four or five area, you'll be shooting into a Bortle three two. I don't know what that Two means. Two and three. <laughs> Bortle one is as dark as you can get. Okay. Like you can go to the Escalante or Capitol Reef, mm -hmm. and there's some areas that are Bortle one. Uh, in Arches National Park, like at uh, Balanced Rock, that's in a Bortle three right now. Okay. And Delicate Arch is a Bortle two looking into a Bortle three and four. Hmm. So it's... it's Archer's is getting kind of light polluted because of Moab. Because of Moab, okay. Moab needs needs to straighten up and fly right. <laughs> you hear that, Moab? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Um, so you you mentioned your conference. You talked a little bit about your history with it. Um, do you have any advice for people? So, and a couple of things that you sort of said you, when talking about the technical process uh, of astrophotography, of nightscape photography, makes it seem like. Uh, as as technical as it can be, sometimes it's it's also pretty accessible. You don't need you know the the highest end equipment to to accomplish some things. You know you, you did mention higher or uh, larger aperture lenses, but you also said you know a lot of APS-C cameras, um, a lot of crop sensor cameras can can kind of do what you need them to do. You only need about a two point eight aperture. Um, so you know what what's some of the 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 advice that you can give to someone who might be a little intimidated by getting into sure. landscaping. Sure. Let's just start out simple. You can really get some nice shots with an APS-C or full-frame camera. It, you know, it's got to be a DSLR or mirrorless camera. Right. Point-and-shoot won't cut it. Okay. Uh, but as wide-angle lens as you, as you can, uh, and even a zoom lens and even a kit lens will work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit... Um, crippled because most of those kit lens are only 3.5 right you know that's only a half stop off from 2.8 yeah so here's a form here's a quick formula 
Manually focus your lens in the daytime on an infinity object. Tape that sucker down. <laughs> and then and, just wait. And, you know, in other words, shut your autofocus off and manually focus it for an infinity object. Tape it down. And then when it gets dark, wait a, at least one and a half to two hours after sunset. And uh, use some programs like PhotoPills or mm -hmm. SkyFinder. Uh, to, to find out where the Milky Way is coming up mm -hmm. and shoot into that area. Use a good tripod, use some type of a remote release or your little timer. Do a 30-second exposure. You're going to have a little bit of elliptical star movement. Sure. But on an 8x10 print, even 11x14 print, you're not going to see it. Yeah. So big deal. So go 30 seconds at f2.8 if you can 3.5 if you have mm -hmm. a kit lens right. at, at the widest um, field you know the uh, widest zoom mm -hmm. and uh, and use an ISO of 6400 okay. now for some cameras that's going to be a little bit noisy but the picture is going to look fantastic. Mm -hmm. And you, you gave some options for stacking in that case, so you yeah, can you, reduce some of that But let's noise. just start out with a single exposure to begin with and see how it comes. Uh, white balance, you can use average or daylight, and the, you'll get kind of a brownish sky. The Milky Way, scientifically, is actually brown. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But if you'll set your... Uh, white balance for something a little cooler around 3,800, 3,500. Uh, you're going to get a, a more bluish sky. Mm -hmm. And even though that is inaccurate, inaccurate, that is what a lot of people think the night sky sure. is. Yeah, it's yeah. on a kind of blue. Mm -hmm. So you'll amaze your friends and you'll amaze yourself. And then, you know, start looking into it, you know, Check out my ebook. Uh, join some other groups. Take a workshop on Nightscape. Mm -hmm. You know, once you get the bug, it is so cool to go out uh, with a friend at the night sky in a dark area that's not polluted, and you can actually see the Milky Way rise with your naked eye. Mm -hmm. Now you add a longer exposure with that, around 25, 30 seconds, and it picks up more of that Milky Way, more of the stars, and your camera sees all the colors of all the individual stars. Mm -hmm. Your eye is using your rods inside of the back of your retina. It can only see in black and white. So that's why the Milky Way looks a little dull uh, for two reasons. You're seeing it in black and white, not color, your camera can see it, sensor can see it uh, in okay. color. Yeah. And then you add to the fact that your lens aperture is about one stop bigger than your than eyeball. Your, eye. hmm. your eyeball is only about F4, F5.6. Hmm. As you get older like I do, it's about F5.6. <laughs> Younger like you is about F4. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but you're still a stop brighter. Right. Plus, you add the longer exposure. Remember, you're seeing in real time. It's like a video at 30 frames per second, mm -hmm. whereas you got 30 whole seconds. Yeah. I mean, that's 90 times more light. Yeah. So.
pretty well, cool. incredible. Well, that's that's awesome. That is that is some incredibly helpful sort of process and very specific stuff. I love that. I hope uh, someone uh, learns a, a lot from this and, and goes out and tries nightscaping for the first time. So, Royce, thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome. Um, go ahead and, and list off some of those links one more time so we can make sure people hear them. You, you mentioned your book, which can be found at... Yeah, the, the book can... Uh, the uh, Milky Way Nightscapes book can be found at nightscapebook.com. That's my ebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the Nightscaper Conference is at nightscaper.com. Correct. It uh, looks like you also have your blog. Uh, that's at roycebear.com. Uh-huh. And spell bear. Yeah, B-A-I-R. Okay. And then where can be, people can, can find you on Instagram, you mentioned as well. Uh, on Instagram, you can find me at roycebearphoto. Very good. I think that covers everything. Royce, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome.